Hello and welcome to another weekly edition of The Wrap. I'm WRL State Government Reporter. Travis Fame. And I'm Paul Spey, PolitiFact reporter and WRAL state government reporter. And we are back into a legislative session, sort of. Uh, we had the first ceremonial day Wednesday of this week. They'll take a two-week break, which is actually written into state law that they take that break. Uh, and they will come back January 25th, and then they will start the real lawmaking. But we've already had our first controversy of the session, uh, Paul, which uh, you, you wrote about and which is going to be with us for a while because it's a big deal and it, it kind of sets the stage, sets the foundation for how the session is going to proceed in the House at least. Right. So at the begin of, beginning of every session, they decide, all right, what what rules are we going to go by? What, you know, how, what, what order are things going to go in? When do we, I don't know, uh, do the order of business? When do we recognize people in the crowd? When we bring up bills? All this stuff. And for the last session and since for the last decade uh, in the House, there was a rule that if you planned on trying to vote to override the governor's veto, you had to give notice. And in the temporary rules change that they adopted. Which we fully expect to become permanent. I think it's temporary for now, but... Right. That's what they're calling it. The Republicans are calling it temporary, saying, hey, let's talk about this again later. But they really don't have to negotiate. They can just move forward with these new rules if they want uh, that do not require any notice at all. Uh, Obviously, Democrats are upset about that. They say, hey, we feel like we can't even leave our seats or go to the bathroom or take a call from our families without you, you know, scanning the room to see if you have the numbers to override uh, Cooper. And, you know, that may be true. Uh, Tim Moore, though, uh, House Speaker Tim Moore, uh, appointed to that position uh, by his Republican caucus for the fifth time, I think. Yeah, fifth time, a, rec- a new record for a Speaker of the House in North Carolina, fifth time. Right. Uh, he said he does not plan on any ambush votes, quote unquote, but no one on the other side believes him. <laughs> Right. Well, and I mean, so the the subtext here is that Republicans are one seat short of a veto-proof supermajority in the House. So ordinarily, they would have to get one Democrat to deal with them if they want to overturn a veto that the governor does on a bill that they like. Except it's it, you don't have to have three-fifths of all members to overturn a veto. You have to have three-fifths of those present and voting at any given moment. So like you said, the Speaker looks out. And there's this veto hanging out there that they want to override. And he sees a couple of Democrats leave the floor to go to the bathroom. Bam, he can call that vote up. They can vote on it before anyone can really react. I mean, the idea behind the rule change is let's be able to do that quicker. And let's be able to vote on any other bill quicker. You know, it doesn't. we don't have to go in the published order. We can pull it up when we want. And I mean, look, look, the speaker can say whatever he wants and people can decide whether they believe him or not. But they don't change rules for no reason. They don't. Yeah, these are these are laws that they're passing. I mean, the, the the House rules kind of really only impact the House, but I mean, you don't you don't do that stuff. You don't write things down and go on for page after page after page and change them after a decade. Just oh well, we just had to clean that up a little bit. We've already been doing it this way. That's not how things work, right? And he, um, what's interesting? What I found interesting was that uh, he doubled down on his prediction that hey, these rules won't matter because we will be able to negotiate with moderate Democrats. And he said, you know what, if we, before we call a vote, we'll, we'll have the votes. We'll know who's voting on our side. And, uh, you know, to me, if, 
you're not going to use these rules or put them in place to, <laughs> to use them, then you wouldn't have to say that. I mean, you're sort of talking out of both sides of your mouth. Like, hey, we're going to – we feel confident we can have a working supermajority, as, as he said, uh, with the occasional uh, moderate Democrat uh, voting with them. Uh, but then at the same time, changing these rules. So it's going to be very interesting to watch. Right. And gamesmanship like this, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time it happened. Uh, I mean, just a few years back, we, we had the situation where Democrats were told, or at least said they were told, and we, the press, were also told there would be no substantive votes the next day. So a bunch of Democrats miss. It was actually 9-11, the anniversary of 9-11. Uh, Republicans moved quickly in the House to override a veto. This is the one where Deb Butler, a Democrat, uh, was, was the one screaming and pounding on the desk. Uh, Democrats super angry about it, but the, that you can do it. I mean, that's... That's why the rules are important is because they lay out the rules. So in that case, I think it's important to note it wasn't Moore who gave the the bad uh, information, the bad information. It was a representative Republican who's no longer in the legislature, who I believe even texted our colleague Laura Leslie Correct. about uh, his uh, prediction that there would be no votes the following day. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's. I don't know how much is a, is a promise worth if it comes from a lieutenant as opposed to the speaker. And I mean, can we. What, what sort of cagey lawyer words are going to be involved when we talk about notice here? So we, we, we shall see. Uh, meanwhile, uh, on abortion, which I think is going to be a real big topic this legislative session, Speaker of the House Tim Moore uh, told reporters that there are working groups between the House and Senate uh, coming up with what our abortion restrictions will look like. And it looks like uh, they're talking about a 13-week threshold as opposed to the 20 weeks that we have in the law right now. And that would be, um, I guess, later than a lot of the Republican-controlled states in the South. Um, and if I had to guess, that's probably their goal is to not get uh, some of the negative attention that other states like Mississippi and Texas have gotten for their six-week ban. Um, North Carolina has been able to recruit big businesses like Apple and others. Uh, and I, I, I don't think they want to do anything that would sort of, you know, spoil the success that they've had or deter it. You know, a lot of people that that are uh, still in uh, the legislature were here when HB2 happened. You know, you have right. this legislation, it's controversial, and then the business community starts thinking twice about, oh, do we want to be associated with this state? Um, my guess is uh, the leaders will try to find a middle ground, if you will. Um, but the uh, religious lobby here, the pro-life uh, the anti-abortion lobby here is very strong, so it'll be interesting to see um, just how they play into all this. And not not only that, but I mean, any number of you know, quote unquote culture war issues. How far do Republicans want to push it with 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 these strong majorities they've got, supermajority in the state Senate, uh, very close to it, as we've discussed in the House. You know, do you want to talk about LGBTQ issues? You know, CRT. Uh, what does that one stand for? I can't even remember the critical race theory, critical race theory, the, the thing about limiting how you talk about race and privilege and these things in, in schools. I imagine we'll see these bills, but uh, surely Republicans are going to hope to try to thread some sort of needle to where they don't have blowback from uh, particularly big businesses that have uh, chosen to make their homes in the state. Uh, speaking of uh, big business, our colleague uh, Brian Murphy had a good story this week. We've talked about gambling, sports gambling, for about
about a year now. Uh, it, it failed legislation to legalize like mobile betting on your phone failed by one vote last year in the House. It's coming back this year. As always, the supporters are are quite optimistic about it. I mean, who's ever not optimistic? You ever interview a lobbyist and they're just like, oh, we had no chance to pass <laughs> this bill. No, I don't think I have. I don't think it's ever been January or February and we say, hey, what, how are you feeling about this? Year? Oh, this is not the year. Yeah, we're good. We're taking I'll a, talk to you next year. We're taking an L. Um, but so one of the things that has changed, so the idea was to have 12 operator licenses, so 12 entities that would have licenses to establish, uh, basically their gaming licenses to, to, to do mobile betting and kiosks at uh, PNC Arena, for example, or any stadium, the Panther Stadium in Charlotte, for example, a place where you could go and place a bet. The pro teams in, in, in North Carolina are looking to tweak that this year, and they want eight of those licenses for themselves. Uh, they want, a, a, the way Murph describes it, is a stronger negotiating position with a Caesars or a DraftKings, uh, one of these entities that does the mobile online gambling. And, and and it's revenue, right? It's it's you control the license, you control money. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Last year's failed legislation outlined an application process that was going to be ten to twelve licenses. I think I said twelve earlier, but it was it was a moving target, and this would put a lot of them in the hands of the teams. I I reading Murph's reporting, it, it basically he's questioning how this will change the calculus as this bill moves forward and and people try to get it to pass. Right. And I think some things, if you're a pessimistic uh, person or sports fan, there's always that uh, that little voice in the back of your mind that says, hey, you know, Tom Dundon, he's not from North Carolina, the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes. If they don't get a, a big enough slice of the pie here, you know, and, and he feels neglected by the local political com- community what's he gonna do you know people have you know when when more so when the canes were bad people speculated oh he's gonna move the team to texas you know houston doesn't have a team or he's gonna move it to canada or whatever there's always that possibility of oh are they gonna take up their bag and go home um that's as a sports fan that's sort of the the angle that i'm interested in too is well uh, how much revenue will the carolina hurricanes be able to generate from this stuff so, right and will they use it I'll, I'll put it on the ice, too. Right. I mean, you, do you use that money to improve your team? Uh, quickly, some movement in chairmanships over in the state Senate. A uh, handful that we thought were notable, uh, Senator Michael Lee out of Wilmington, who, who's in a swing district uh, and uh, a very competitive race that he has every time he tries to get elected down there. He is the new uh, appropriations co-chair. He joins Brent Jackson and Ralph Heiss. He is also an education chairman. Amy Gailey, a senator from Alamance County, joining him on education. And then Jim Perry, who's kind of, I don't know if young gun is quite the right word for, for Jim Perry, Senator Jim Perry, but he you know clearly wants to be in the mix in Raleigh. He is a new finance chair joining Bill Rabin and Paul Newton uh, as the big chairs of that committee. Uh, also, quickly, from the first day of session, some folks read into – the people, the Democrats that were selected for the Speaker's Escort Committee. So, like, once Tim Moore is elected Speaker formally, we appoint an Escort Committee. He walks to the back of the the, the chamber and then walks down the front aisle. It's just a little ceremony. And there's always a bipartisan committee escorting him. Uh, Trisha Cotham, Shelley Willingham, and Michael Ray, all Democrats seen as potential yes votes for Republicans as they try to break vetoes. We talked about how Tim Moore said he had some votes. They were on the escort committee. I mean, read into that what you will, right? I mean, it, who knows? Yeah, I, I'm sure. Well, I'll say this. Uh, P. 
people were already looking at them, whether or not they were escorting right, the speaker. Right, right. So we'll see if they're escorting the agenda. I'm sorry. I'm going to apologize for that segue. That was terrible. Um, Madison Cawthorn, back in the news, has, I don't know, does he ever get out of it? Even even now that he lives in Florida, apparently. he. Uh, so Chuck Edwards, the Republican who replaced Madison Cawthorn in the 11th district out in the western part of the state in Congress, took to the, put out a press release this week that said, look, if you have some sort of outstanding constituent issue, something that I can help you with, please let me know because Madison Cawthorn, Congressman Madison Cawthorn's office didn't hand us over a list. Like we don't know what they were working on when it comes to helping people with the federal government. And I called around. I, I called uh, Cawthorn's former chief of staff, Blake Harp. He wouldn't talk to me about it. Hal Weatherman, who was running for lieutenant governor, and it's going to be interesting to see if the reputation of Madison Cawthorn, how much that rubs off on Mr. Weatherman as he tries to run statewide here. He said he was his district director, Madison Cawthorn's district director. He says he left in June. I Basically, I couldn't get anybody to talk about it. Did you hear anybody from Team Cawthorn address this until today, You know, three days after this came out? No, um, and I think a, a lot of people were surprised isn't the right word, but I saw on social media when when it was revealed that information was missing and it had not been handed over. People were, I think, upset but not surprised. Right um, is what I saw on social media. Um, but I don't know the backstory there. I, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they're not friends, Cawthorn and, and Edwards, because you have Cawthorn, the, you know, uh, I mean, he's his own thing, and then you have Edwards, who's more of an establishment guy. Um, it's bitter, but I'll say I can't remember a time where there was something so public. And the victim, so to speak, was the public, the voting public. And someone just said, yeah, well, your problem. Because uh, that, that's the sense I get from Cawthorn's camp. Right. And, and just to explain to people what we're talking about, constituent work, like if you are a veteran and you're having trouble getting benefits from the VA, you call your congressman and you say, hey, advocate for me. You know, help me navigate the maze of federal government. This is bedrock congressional stuff. Right. I worked with, uh, I wrote a story back when I was at the News and Observer um, about a, a local couple who was trying to adopt an orphan from Europe. I think it, it was either Russia or Ukraine. I can't remember which. But they called, I believe it was uh, George Holding's office, and he was helping them sort of navigate the international laws for that too. Um, those are, you know, fairly um regular examples, I think, of what happens, working with the VA, doing out-of-country out of, out of adoptions, things like that. Right, right. And so Tuesday of this week, Edward says, look, they didn't turn us over a list. We don't know you know, who actively we should be helping. Not till Friday did Team Cawthorn address this. A spokesman uh, said it was Edward's fault. He said that Cawthorn staff gave full cooperation, that they never got any sort of message saying anything was missing or needed. They said that Madison Cawthorn has a different cell phone, <laughs> And that Edwards could call his scheduler uh, if if help were needed. Again, they didn't respond to this for three days. I mean, look, people, you can decide who deserves the benefit of the doubt there. Uh, but Cawthorn has lied a lot. So. And I, I think it says something that uh, for Edwards that uh, what's what's the old Reagan saying? Don't say another bad word a, a bad word about another Republican. And yet that a that's how he got elected. But b He's sort of standing there holding his arms up saying, well, I'd, I'd like to help, but right. I don't know where to start. You right. know, I imagine they're getting all sorts of calls with people asking for updates, and they don't even know what they're talking about. By the way, Cawthorn uh, in court this afternoon, we're taping this Friday afternoon for bringing a gun into the Charlotte airport. 
believe that was one one of two times he was charged with bringing a gun into an airport. Uh, Andy, uh, by the way, Paul's middle name is is Andy. So if you ever hear me call him Andy instead of Paul, that's why. That that's also uh, how I'm known on Twitter. Um, uh, when I got to the in the know, there were a bunch of Andys and Andrews. So I thought, oh, I'll have to go by my my real first name, Paul. And, um, and I'll I'll tell people I actually go by my middle name too. Travis is my middle name. My first name is Charles. So if you want to call me Charlie, I always enjoy that. Tell us about TikTok. TikTok being removed from devices. Well. This is something that Republicans uh, have actually called for um, in the last weeks. My, my, my I think timing. it was right before the new year. Yeah. I was going to say my timing is off because of the holidays, but uh, it was right before the new year. They said, hey, TikTok is a Chinese company, I believe. We believe it to be dangerous. They can monitor our citizens and potentially um, endanger our technology if public employees open it. Uh, and so they they called on Governor Cooper to do something about that, and then and now we know that by January 26th, uh, the North Carolina Department of Information Technology and the state's uh, chief information officer will have a policy prohibiting the use of TikTok, WeChat, and quote potentially other apps on state agency information technology systems in a man in a manner that represents a quote unacceptable. Cybersecurity risk. So I, I don't really know how this will be applied, um, but it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I think the bottom line is if you if you got a state device, you're not going to be allowed to have TikTok or WeChat on it. Similar to what the federal government has done, and governors in a number of states, it it started as a primarily Republican thing, but it's moving more. Uh, and and John Hardister and Jason Sane were the Republican lawmakers who called on the governor to do this, uh, and that's moving forward. Speaking of the governor, I was at a Martin Luther King Jr. Ceremony today for employees, state employees, uh, that some awards are given. It's an annual thing, although this is the first time it's happened in person since 2020. They held it at First Baptist Church on Salisbury Street in downtown Raleigh. Uh, EPA Administrator Michael Regan, who folks might remember, was in Roy Cooper's cabinet up until well, a couple of years ago, I guess. Uh, he attended and spoke. I No news out of it, except I learned that there is a state employees choir, a choir made up of state employees, and they're good. They were fantastic today. So I, I guess I got a new, a new thing I love. One more thing about Michael Reagan. Ooh, I would just keep an eye on him because, uh, as now the EPA administrator for uh, President Biden, um, he's climbed obviously climbed the ranks right. of government, and it wouldn't be surprising to see him back in North Carolina running for something at some point. Yeah, and, and some people thinking maybe governor as soon as in 2024. He uh, ski-daddled before I could uh, buttonhole him on that, and I, that's exactly what I was going to ask. Like, <laughs> hey, are you thinking about running for governor here in, in 2024? So it'll be interesting to see. I've seen certainly no confirmation. This has all just been speculation. Should I should mention Attorney General Josh Stein was there as well. We pretty well know he's running for governor in 2024. And then Dale Folwell was there. A lot of uh, uh, council of state folks were there. Dale Folwell, who is probably running for governor in 2024 as a Republican, uh, along with Lieutenant Governor uh, Mark Robinson, although I didn't see Mark Robinson, uh, hmm. nor would I expect to. There was a lot of talk of like uh, liberal ideas during this uh, uh, thing. <laughs> I, he'll probably show up somewhere. It's a, you know, holidays not till Monday. Right, right, right. But he, he and Roy Cooper rarely share up, show up at the same events is the only point really I'm making there. Uh, they do not care for each other. Uh, I'll mention briefly, I wrote a very long legislative preview that ran uh, last weekend. Uh, if you want to go back and read that, please do. 
But one thing I neglected to put in there, I understand that DHHS is going to push for more child care subsidy money this this session. No surprise there. Uh, lack of child care is a big problem for families for one of the reasons that some people have not gotten back in the work, workforce, which of course has economy-wide impacts. So to look for that, I failed to mention that as, as one of those issues to kind of look for, uh, but look for it to, to, to be an issue going forward. Andy, tell us about uh, why I can't order a bottle of wine from California and have it mailed to me. Well, apparently, um, according to the uh, North Carolina Tribune, uh, there will no longer be any uh, Wine deliveries allowed from out of state. Yeah, uh, this is a they quote in the Alcohol Law Review. I think this is a long-standing rule that a lawsuit tried to overturn, and now the U.S. Supreme Court said, "No, we're not going to take that up," and so it's going to it's going to continue. On a personal note, I uh, visited California last year and tried some great wines, and so this is uh, disappointing. Yeah, and you can get wine apparently. I, I didn't know about this. Uh, they, they, again, Colin Campbell with the NC Tribune, he was quoting the Alcohol Law Review here, uh, which <laughs> I didn't know that existed. That where Where's that job? I got to get that one. Yeah, and do they need a uh, PR person, spokesperson? Uh, that would be good to know. Yeah, but the, basically North Carolina law lets customers have wine shipped to their homes from in-state companies, but not out of state. Uh, that's a little bit of protectionism uh you know what? Uh, okay, so here's another thing that's not on our script. But I'll tell you this. I do love wine, and North Carolina has some underrated wines, uh, but they're all closer to Winston-Salem, between Winston and- uh, Like the Yadkin uh, Valley area? Yes, yeah, yes. Beautiful part of the um, state, too. They're not like- uh, the they're not the Muscadine wines. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm although, talk- although I'll drink a little Muscadine. Will wine. you? Oh, yeah. It has to be the right mood. But no, these are uh, they aim to be more just traditionally red wines. There's some blends out there that are really good. I I don't want to name names just to because I don't want to you know forget someone. But just you know if you like wine, look into it. I I'd, I'd say it's worth going out there. Yeah, and usually there's a North Carolina section wherever you buy it, and you know ask your 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 local sommelier, your 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 wine shop. There there is some good stuff. I'll say. Uh, quickly, William Brisson. So, session on Wednesday, the first day was delayed a little bit in the house because William Brisson had some sort of. It was described as a medical emergency or or, or an incident. I, I spoke to his uh, legislative assistant today. She said he's fine. I mean, he 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 was taken out of the session, then came back. And then left again um, just to get checked out. I think she said he's fine, that he got overheated, that he drove himself home. I don't think anyone was ever really worried except for right at the beginning when we didn't know what was going on. But she says he's absolutely fine, nothing to worry about. Uh, So we're very glad to hear that. Uh, Also, a little note, uh, Fiscal Research Director Mark Trogdon, he is retiring uh, as of April 1st, that's according to Fiscal Research, called and confirmed that with them today. Uh, Fiscal Research, for anyone who doesn't know, they... They basically research bills and say, all right, this is this is going to have the following impacts we estimate. If you pass this law, it will cost this much money, et cetera, et cetera. They also work on uh, the budget and decide you know, how much money the state should have to spend in a given year. Was he also the former transportation secretary? Am I thinking of someone else? I think you're thinking of some, some, someone else. Uh, Mark, unless there's something I don't know, he has had a pretty long career at fiscal research. So we wish him well as he heads off into the sunset. Uh, apparently, the governor had surgery on his knee uh, recently. I didn't know that. Saw an Associated Press story this morning, Friday morning. Underwent a partial knee replacement surgery during the holidays. 
Uh, governor's office didn't give a specific date for the procedure, but said uh, that he's feeling great. I, like I said, I saw the governor at the MLK thing. He did not speak to reporters after, so I didn't get to ask him about this. But he, if he was walking with a limp, I did not notice it. Uh, mm. Of course, I guess it's not that hard to sit down at a pulpit and then stand up and give a little speech. But I, we are told he is doing fine. When I, th- when I think about the governor's knee hurting, I, I think about how how much he loves sports and his last Halloween. Uh, outfit was him in the full Carolina Hurricanes gear, and I can't remember if he was wearing skates or not. Uh, I he probably wasn't, but uh, anyway, as as someone who's who's getting older and <laughs> whose limbs are hurting more than they used to, I, that's the type of thing I think about. Yeah, he's pretty athletic. He's sixty five, and uh, I remember that picture of him in that Carolina Hurricanes outfit, and he had such a serious look on his face. I actually, in our year-end sit-down, I did not include this in the cut, so no one would have seen me ask him this question, but I asked him, I, I basically said, come clean, do you, do you think you could skate a line? Because he looked like he thought so. He was like, no, absolutely not, and I guess I'll believe him, but I don't know. I don't know. I, you know what? I would be willing to bet that there is somewhere – there has to be footage. He's surely gone to a Canes like practice skate and gotten right. out there with him. Right. I, there has to be footage of that. Yeah, I'm, Roy Cooper's getting on the ice, I'm guessing. Uh, last thing, I've got a new PBS show replacing Mark Rodman's front row. It's going to be called State Lines. It will air Fridays at 8.30 p.m. I guess the first one should be tonight. Uh, it's the same idea as Front Row, uh, which is a policy roundtable thing. Kelly McCullen will be the host. His first guest this evening, Donna King of the Carolina Journal, who was a, a, a standard guest uh, when Rotterman had this show. Don Vaughn from the NNO and State Representative Brandon Lofton. And that's all I got. That's it for me. I uh, The only thing else I can do is plug uh, PolitiFact next week. We're looking at um, Tom Tillis and his record on same-sex marriage, uh, whether it has changed since uh, he was Speaker of the House back uh, in or last decade, around t- uh, 2011, 2012, uh, how it's changed from then to 2022 when he uh, voted for and helped push through the Respect for Marriage Act. All right, folks, check check that out in our newscast next week and also online. PolitiFact is easy to find on our website. Also, on the record, our weekly political roundtable show, 7.30 Saturday night on WRAL, and then on the website after if you just Google WRAL on the record, will be about the gambling bill. Uh, so look for that if you're interested in that topic. And until next time, we hope you have a great day.